The 3-2. And drilled to left center field. Grand slam, George Springer. Well, if you don't think this team has a lot of confidence right now, you are sadly mistaken. Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Thursday, July 28th, brought to you by Miller Lite, the original light beer, Arden Swelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith, our producers Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade, and Ben, Toronto Blue Jays playing quite well of late. They are 54-44 and 44 as we sit here on the morning of Thursday, July the 28th. That is good for second place in the American League East. That is good for first place in the American League wild card race with the Seattle Mariners and Tampa Bay Rays in close pursuit. The Cleveland Guardians, Baltimore Orioles, Chicago White Sox, Boston Red Sox, all in the mix in those wild card standings. Ben Fangrass gives the Toronto Blue Jays 96.1% chance. 96.1% odds of making the postseason as we sit here today. Does that sound about right to you? And how do you think that all of those facts about where the Blue Jays are now should inform how they approach the next several days as we get uh, up close to the August 2nd trade deadline? Yeah, I I think 96% does sound right, which is wild because um, that sounds very high. It sounds like a very, very likely outcome (laughs) that they're going to make the postseason. And just given, I mean, it's been a while since we recorded. It's been a while since I recorded. I was on the COVID IL, as you know, for a bit there. Arden. And so it feels like the, you know, this team in that period of time has gone through all these ups and downs and, you know, they've had, um, you know, this, this horrible trip out West and then they fire Charlie Montoyo and then they come back and, you know, they, they start playing amazing baseball. There's this kind of roller coaster experience of watching this team in the course of the last few weeks. Like the month of July has had some ups and downs, but, you know, end of the day, the playoffs are expanded. So, Yes, their chances are are really good, in my opinion. Um, of course, it means less than ever to make the playoffs. So they still have a lot of work to do. You know, leading up to the deadline, we're just a few days away. We'll, of course, have the chance to kind of dive into a lot of that today. I think, yes, they're going to make the playoffs. But no, they are not good enough right now. 96 does seem high just because I've seen so much crazy stuff happen in baseball seasons, right? To say that there's like only a 4%. There's only 4% of outcomes where the Blue Jays don't make the playoffs. Just seems, I don't know, seems light (laughs) to me. I've seen too much crazy stuff happen. What I know is uh, the Blue Jays need to be focused right now on maintaining their spot atop the wild card standings. You want that first wild card spot. I know the Blue Jays have whittled away a little bit at the Yankees divisional lead. I still think that like that is way more unrealistic than the Blue Jays missing the playoffs. This is the Blue Jays winning the American League East. Like I, I think the Yankees are going to win it in the end. So now you need that first wild card spot because if you don't have that first wild card spot, you are not hosting the wild card series. You are going on the road. If you have one of those bottom two ones, you might be going to Seattle. Like you might be flying across the continent to play the Mariners. You might be going to the Trop. You might be going and giving the Rays home field advantage. You need to host that wild card series because you want to make the Mariners fly across the continent. And oh, by the way, maybe not have Robbie Ray available with the series in Toronto. Same thing with Tampa Bay Rays. Like if they acquire somebody at the deadline who's unvaccinated, and I would be surprised if they did because obviously they're preparing for these scenarios. But you want to have 
have that slight advantage if you're the Blue Jays and you want to have the home field advantage as well. This is a club that has played way better at home this season for as much as that is worth. And I just think that that is the like big advantage the Blue Jays need to be targeting right now is obviously you just get into the postseason, get in the tournament because anything can happen in the tournament. But it is quite an advantage in that wildcard series to be hosting the three games. Yeah, it definitely is. I, I agree with you, first of all, that the American League East continues to look uh, unrealistic. Uh, the Yankees can probably start working on that 2022 champs banner right now. And they've earned it. They've played incredibly well. Um, so the Yankees and Astros will be the teams with those first round buys. And and so there are two series at that point that unfold in the American League. And one of those will go to the central winner. We'll have the home field. The Jays need to be that other team. So they need to be the top wild card seed. And as of now, they're pretty well positioned to secure that. You know, it's this is really um, tough to pinpoint now, and they have a lot of work to do. But I think they have, in a lot of ways, the best roster to build from. So they've got a great offense that's driving a lot of their wins and success right now. Um, they've got a you know a solid foundation for their pitching staff that they'll look to improve in the next few days here. So I see no reason that they can't end up being that top team if they continue to play well. And of course, they don't have to keep winning eight of ten or or anything close to that. But I think they're pretty well positioned with the right additions to to get there. But it will end a lot of intrigue to the last couple months of the season because I, I think, you know, while the Yankees might walk away with the ALEs pretty cleanly, I think it's going to be a battle down to the end for those wildcard spots and what that seeding looks like. We're going to go into that final series of the season not knowing and with still some some jumbling, right? And I don't know how tight it's going to be. Somebody's going to have an advantage, certainly. I don't think we're going to enter that final series with like four teams all tied at the same record. But I think that that final series of the season is going to have something to say in this. And we're all going to be playing out the many permutations and scenarios, kind of like last year on the final day of the season, right? Blue Jays are going to be playing Baltimore in Baltimore, that final series of the season. The Rays will be at the Red Sox at Fenway. The really interesting one is the Mariners are going to be hosting the Tigers for four. Four game series in three three days. days. Scheduled doubleheader. So that could make things pretty wacky as well and the Mariners obviously playing at home and are going to want to stay at home and win that first wild card spot and make somebody from come from the east coast over to see them whether it's like the Rays coming from Boston or the Blue Jays coming from Baltimore so that's going to be interesting as I think about it right now actually I kind of can't wait because I think it's going to be really really fun um, but we can't get there yet we are too far ahead we got to look ahead to just a few days from now August 2nd the trade deadline so this is like the big juncture where you can really arm yourself you can reinforce your roster you can address needs it's kind of interesting like when you think about the blue jays front office and they're looking to add talent pretty much always and they're always looking to sort of improve and upgrade and the way the baseball schedule works like there's not that many junctures to do it in an impactful way like throughout a season you might find like a little Zach Collins trade at the end of spring training or like you might find a Sergio Romo on release waivers but if you want to talk about like adding like impactful everyday talent or somebody who's going to be a solid part of your rotation that's basically going to happen at the trade deadline or in the offseason like how often do you see an April, May, June, even July you know trade of early July I guess of like a really big premium talent like it just doesn't happen that often it's pretty much and obviously it doesn't happen after the trade after the trade deadline to the conclusion of the world series so i think for the blue jays 
Like, yes, they look at the trade deadline as a place to like get better for now and to get better for this season. But I think they also look at it as an opportunity to like, here's where we can add talent. We don't have that many of the opportunities in the baseball calendar to add something that can really make a meaningful impact on our roster. So I don't know that the Blue Jays trade deadline strategy is just about the next two months of baseball. I think they could be looking to add someone who's going to help this organization, help this team for seasons to come as well. Yeah, I see, I see a few layers to it. And I think the way that you outlined it there uh, does make sense. Um, you know, first and foremost, you do have to make sure that that 96% becomes 100%. You do not want to leave any opening there for you know, whoever it is, the Red Sox. Not that I think the Red Sox are looking very much like a playoff team the more I watch Franchi Cordero and their defense. But, um, you know, you first have to slam that door shut. So how do you do that? To me, you know, given the volatility of Yusei Kikuchi, given the uncertainty with Max Castillo, you need to reinforce the rotation if you can. That's something that you're just, you're not going to regret if you add even a depth starter. And I don't see a lot of frontline starters out there. So I think if it ends up being a depth starter, that's fine. That person helps you get to the playoffs. Then you have to have someone who can succeed in the playoffs. Because again, they're going to be playing a three-game series. You're probably going to be playing some elimination games, maybe two elimination games, maybe one. Ideally, it's zero, but that series is going to be very high leverage, every pitch of it. You need to reinforce this bullpen with better options than Trevor Richards, who's giving up bombs to Albert Pujols and leverage. I mean, that's you can't have that happen in the postseason. Uh, you need to have better options. So they need to make changes. They need to make upgrades. They need to pay whatever price it costs to get swing and miss in the bullpen. Even beyond that, as you're saying, there is room to add players with control because they're going to need pitchers for the rotation next year and for the bullpen next year. And so that's where I think the shopping list starts with Luis Castillo. And you know the, the understanding at this point is that the price is extremely high for Luis Castillo, as it should be. But you have to start there and you have to see if there's a fit for him, for Montas. The Jays, of course, will explore uh, deals for both of those pitchers and others because that control can impact your organization long term. It's interesting because the Blue Jays like to operate in a very measured way, in a very disciplined way, and they like to be very thoughtful and take the long view. And just the reality of the trade deadline sometimes works against that approach because you have to make a lot of like very high leverage decisions in a very condensed time frame when emotion is involved and you know like this is when teams make mistakes at the ninth hour or the 11th hour i guess at, at the trade deadline like right up against it when it's yeah like what's one more young player yeah. in this deal to get this guy it might put us over the top but for the blue jays they would say well that's one more young player and that's more value and we're trying to add value in every deal that we make every transaction the blue jays make free agency trade whatever they're trying to add value that they want value in everything that's the way they look at it so that's why it comes down to your preparation it comes down to understanding the market that's why the Blue Jays are going to call on everybody, any player you want to put in. Blue Jays have checked in on X. Fill in the name. It's true. They've checked in on everybody. They know what the values are. They know what's possible, what's out there, what other teams are thinking, which players in the Blue Jays system other teams like. Like You just get this idea of the whole map and the whole solar system at the trade deadline so that you can make like objective, empirical, wise decisions and you aren't kind of flying by the seat of your pants at the end of it. And I think it's going to be really important this year because this is a trade 
market that I expect to accelerate rapidly right at the end, like in the afternoon on August 2nd, and be pretty quiet until then. If you want to move now, you can, but you're going to pay a premium. Like you're going to, you're going to overpay. Honestly, um, I don't think we're going to see any big, big deals happening right up, you know, until the deadline. Obviously, Andrew Benintendi goes to the Yankees on Wednesday night. Is that a, it's more of like kind of a medium deal. Like you want to talk about like the really big talent that, that might be moved, the controllable starters, the possibility of a Juan Soto, like that stuff will come right down to the wire. So you might have another like small ish thing here um in the next couple of days but i really think that august 2nd is when things are going to accelerate so that's because you look at even just the market there's a lot of sort of fringe teams where you're not even sure what they're going to do right like how aggressively can baltimore sell right now with where they are how aggressively can boston add does boston needs to sell how does that play in their market how aggressive will cleveland or the white Sox be um which way will the giants go like there's a lot of teams that sort of could go either way and i don't know that they have really made that decision firmly in one direction or the other yet so it's a market that's fluid and developing and that's where i think it really comes down to the blue jays preparation and their targets and their understanding of the market their understanding of their values what they will and will not do clearly defined walk away points I think that's how they need to execute up towards the deadline because I think things are going to move very quickly on August 2nd. Yeah, that that one afternoon always is is a fun one. I expect that'll be the case this year. I think you're right that with Soto, I think it'll go down to the wire because I think the Nationals are, are rightfully going to have an extremely high price on Soto. And I think they're going to wait and just see how good those offers get. I, I think they're going to sit back and let teams come to them and i don't think that they're going to jump on something on saturday uh it's just my prediction i think the jays will be checking um as they should be and we'll get into soto a bit more later on but you know i think that that's just to state the obvious here and we've said this on different platforms at different times but not on atl anytime a player that good is available you have to check you have to do your diligence you have to try to get them i think that's that's a pretty baseline thing if you're running a major league baseball team. So, you know, beyond that, though, I agree. I think a lot of this will come down to the wire. Personally, I think we'll start to see some action on Sunday, Monday, and then really rolling into into Tuesday. But that's all pretty late. You know, we're not talking about deals on July 15th. We're talking about deals on July 31st, August 1st, and then into the second. And the name I think could change some things is Carlos Rodon. Um, he can be a free agent at the end of this year. You know, the Giants clearly underperforming after winning whatever it was, 107, 108 games last year. He would really change this market because there's just not much premium starting pitching out there. So I think that's a name to to look for. Um, one that would certainly, you know, help the Jays among many other teams as they try to reinforce this pitching staff, reinforce this roster. And I think, you know, as long as a name like that is out there, then it probably slows the market too on someone like a Jose Quintana or Chad Cool because you're going to start at the top and then you're going to see, okay, our fallback is this. We're going to go and, and acquire, you know, this back end starter as a fallback. What's interesting about Rodon is that like that's where there's really a lack of inventory on this market is the high end rental starting pitcher. Yeah. Um, and Rodon, is, I don't, do you even classify him as a rental, right? Because it's his opt out, right? So you have to be prepared for him not to take it. 
going forward. But you could put them into that category, I guess, of a rental starting pitcher. And there aren't really other high end options there. Like you're more so talking about the mid tier guys, you know, for the absolute like premium impactful talent of this deadline, Luis Castillo's or Frankie Montas, or maybe your Tariq Skubal, that's all controllable guys. So the price on that is going to be higher. Um, and I think the Blue Jays should be entertaining paying that price. I think they're willing to move prospects for pitching at this deadline. I think they'd be willing to make another Brios-esque deal if it was the right players in it. Like I, I think they feel strong about the depth of their system. And even though they've traded each of their last first overall picks in Austin Martin and um, Gunnar Hoagland, yeah, I think the Blue Jays would be willing to tap into that top-end prospect depth again in order to get an arm that they like, somebody who they believe is going to help them, obviously not only this fall, but next fall. Maybe somebody you can extend, somebody with some durability, with a profile that that they like. So, And that's not just the names you know that, that we're talking about so much. Like That could be one of the young starters in Cleveland, right? That could be one of the young starters in Miami. We've heard Houston might be willing to move one of you know their their young starters as well. So I think the Blue Jays will be and have to be open minded to that type of like Barrios esque deal again here, because otherwise, like yeah, you're not really looking at big time impact. And then that's when I would I would more so start looking to somebody if I couldn't get the high end controllable guy, I would then. If I'm on the lower end, I'm looking for somebody who can actually kind of swing between my rotation and my bullpen. Because now I'm looking for, and you mentioned Chad Cooley is a good example, right? Of somebody who's got some relief experience in the past who can come in and look, where do I need you right now down the stretch? Do I need you to make starts to help me get into the postseason because Yusei Kikuchi just does not have it and somebody else got hurt? Cool. You can pitch out of the back end of my rotation and help me get to the postseason. And then once I'm there in the postseason, I can insert you into my bullpen. Cool. A guy with a fastball that would play up in shorter stints and a really wicked slider as well. Or, okay, I've I've got five starters I feel good about right now. You say Kikuchi is solved, and I've got Brios, Gosman, and Manoa top mirror rotation, and the striplings chugging along. All right, I'm going to go acquire Nato Ivaldi, and he's going to pitch out of my bullpen, <laughs> right? Um, and if I need him to make a spot start down the stretch, I can, but he's got relief experience, and he's done it in the postseason as well. So somebody in that cool Ivaldi sort of mold stripling molds really who can oscillate between starting and relieving i think that would be really valuable for the blue jays to acquire for the rest of the season if they aren't able to get one of those young controllable guys yeah i I like that concept i think that um you know ovaldi would be great and i'm really fascinated to see what the red sox do i think i mean ovaldi like i think there could be a lot of demand for him um just given how many teams i mean the jays just played the cardinals and i think they're third starter is now Palante and their their ace is you know 40 years old and you know I, like that's a team that needs starting pitching for sure among many others there's always teams that need starting pitching this time of year so you know that the Jays are going to have competition for these types of starters but you know I think Ovaldi would be great I think he would be tremendous I think he might actually require like a real prospect going back because the demand could be that high cool to me I don't know man I'm not totally sold on Chad cool you know I am fascinated by these guys who come out of cores and John Gray obviously is one example who's actually having a good year with the Rangers but I don't know he's not getting a lot of swing and miss this year not totally there but 
in that mold, a guy that I would point you to, and you, you know, I don't know if this will really impress our listeners or you, but <laughs> Drew exactly Smiley, Drew yeah. Smiley. I mean, you know, he's someone who is, he's not having a great year. The cost to be, in my opinion, would be low, but he would help. He would help in that, in that mold. And he's healthy now, um, pitching well now. That's kind of what you're looking for. So I think that that's someone to keep an eye on. And I think the cost would be quite low because the Rockies, you can never predict what they're going to do anyway. Ovaldi, I think the price would be high, but Smiley and the Jays have been scouting the Cubs, as you would expect. This is normal this time of year, but they've been watching those guys pretty closely. And Smiley, I think, would be a fit among others. I mean, that's I don't think either one of us here is saying, oh, go get Chad Cool or Drew Smiley and you're good to go. Here comes the, you know, here comes the ALCS matchup against the Yankees. Clearly, that's one piece among many. But as long as we're talking about starting pitching, you know, I just I just have this feeling that Drew Smiley is a name to watch. And and truly, I'm not trying to like hint. I guess I am hinting, but I'm not trying to say like I've heard that, you know, they're going to get him. But I just won't be surprised. Chad Cool is a guy that I was on in the offseason. So this is a little bit of carryover from there because I just want to be right from like back then. Because when he came out of Pittsburgh, I was like, oh, the Jays should go get this guy. It was a lot of the same stuff, right? It was, I was like, yeah, is he going to last as a starter? I don't know, right? Like he's kind of been five and dive and uh, basically league average ERAs. But I think he has a lot of utility and relief, man. Like I think, you know, the fastball, the fastball has been earlier in his career, like 94, 95 as a starter. This year, it's more like 92 93 if the fastball is playing up 95 96 in shorter stints in max effort stints his slider is legit man like 35 percent whiff rate like really good pitch i think he could be a relief weapon for this team um go, what do you got well go I, I, you know i i like the i like the possibilities to me and, and maybe maybe it would work maybe it will work but to me, this time of year, I want guys who are doing it now. I don't want a project. You know, they got enough of those on the roster as is with Kikuchi and others. Even Scooble, I'm kind of like, and Montas, like, you know, Castillo, who's doing it now, 99, like overpowering. I want the guys who are right this second doing exactly what you need. Drew Smiley doing it now. <laughs> Last hey, two though. to three innings in his outings with Chicago. I mean, he's coming off a nice one yeah. most recently against the Phillies. But uh, yeah, didn't do so well against the Dodgers. Hasn't done so well against uh, premium competition. Only three innings against, cost would be low. against the Brewers. I would hope <laughs> the cost would be low on that one. So I'm looking for these these starters, and you are kind of too, who could move into the bullpen as well, because like that is kind of like the big obvious glaring red flag weakness weakness of this team is that yeah it's you know Albert Pujols is coming up in the fifth inning with runners on the corners, and it's Trevor Richards coming in to face him. You need a better option in that spot for John Schneider. Like you need a better option with runners on, couple out, high leverage spot, middle innings that can get you a strikeout. And right now you don't have that for the Blue Jays, right? Because like Trevor Richards, the ball, as we saw, was extremely, well, not even in play. It was in the 200 level. With Adam Simber, the ball is going to be in play. Like David Phelps is great, but you want somebody who's going to give you a bit more swing and miss in that spot. Mesa. A bit more velo, right? Yeah, but you know, if you burn Mesa, who's your late inning lefty, right? Even and even with Mesa, it's not like it's it's not like he's you know Andrew Miller circa 2016. Like yeah. there's a he's got a 21 percent whiff rate or strikeout rate. 
So I I think that like obviously like the Blue Jays need to add in the bullpen. So you're kind of looking for these like back doors. So if you you add a starter who may help you down the stretch and moves into a relief role, you're kind of like oh well Nate Pearson's throwing again and Julian Merriweather's getting back off a mound. And starting to think about that. I mean, you're starting to think about prospects, right? Thinking about the Yosfer Zuluetas of this world and like Hayden Younger and oh Adrian Hernandez is back throwing again with the, after the shoulder thing. Like hmm. Maybe the Blue Jays see something in like Foster Griffin or, uh, you know, Peacock off waivers or like, oh, Thomas Hatch is going to change roles. Okay, Thomas Hatch throws in relief now. Maybe the stuff plays up. They're not sexy options, right? Like, no, so those are those are the options. Sorry to sorry to cut you off. But those are the options that the Yankees are hoping the Blue Jays (laughs) stick with. You know, that's exactly what the Mariners are dreaming. Like Jerry DePoto at the Mariners is sitting there thinking, yeah, Julian Merriweather and Thomas Hatch, that's what you should do, Blue Jays. Like, that's what I want you to do. So what I'm getting to is that the Blue Jays have to add relievers, like one way or another. Like you're going to have to go out and get relief. And I don't think that you want to go down the road again of a, oh, well, like Brad Hand's struggling, but like the track record's there. Look, by the way, Blue Jays were right. They were just too early, right? Brad Hand's great this year. <laughs> they were just, you know, they just got him when he was still struggling and still in the depths of despair. Oh, you know, Joaquin Soria's done it before. Does he have one more run in him? Yeah, he very much did not. I think you want some more certainty at this deadline. So you need to be like looking at the David Robertsons, looking at the Daniel Bards. Bard, probably my favorite guy that the Blue Jays could add this deadline on the relief side, by the way. Looking at Detroit, do they move Gregory Soto? Joe Jimenez, a guy with like amazing swing and miss stuff, always had big time stuff, but actually has really improved his walk rate this year and has been in the zone a lot more consistently. The the peripherals look a lot better this year. Um, you know, just like looking at just some more certainty and somebody with some more proven have done it swing and miss stuff. And it's interesting, like in leverage, I don't know that you're going to go out and trade for somebody who's like been closing this year in really big games a lot. Like, I don't think you're going to get a closer on this market. Like, you are going to have to take a little bit of a leap of faith with somebody who maybe hasn't been in like the most pressureful moments consistently this year, just with the way that this relief market is shaping up. But I do think you can target swing and miss. You can target velo. You can go give John Schneider like some strikeout options in those spots in middle innings, which he really just lacks right now. Yeah, exactly. And and look, like they can get to the postseason with Trevor Richards. They really could. I think that would that would get them there. But it's not about getting there. It's about winning four playoff series in four weeks. That is not easy to do. And they're not doing it with their current bullpen. It's not going to happen, in my opinion. And and I strongly suspect that the Blue Jays agree with that and that they will move. And that by the time we're recording next, the bullpen will look different. It has to. It, you know, this current bullpen is not good enough to shut down the best bats in baseball. The Astros lineup, the Yankees lineup. Like you're gonna go to Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez and be like, Yeah, we like Trevor Richards against lefties. Like, no, you can't. You need to do better. So you know, to me, you're not trying to get guys who might be good if they're one, you know, tweak away or they start gripping their slider differently or whatever the case. You're not getting guys who were good two years ago and who might reclaim it. You need guys who are good right now, who are getting strikeouts against major league hitters right now, limiting walks, limiting home runs, ideally getting ground balls. That's what you need. And so to me, we've 
talked about these names on various platforms at various times. And I, I like the names that you're throwing out there for sure. Um, you know, Bard would be good. Um, you know, Soto would be good. I think Jimenez, who you mentioned, would be really good. You know, just throwing more strikes and, and really getting a lot of swing and miss. I think Jimenez and Joe Mantiply for me would probably be the the top guys to go after. Robertson would be great too. Um, and, and a rental, he'll be traded. So, I mean, that's that's he'll go somewhere. So I, I think that you need to end up ideally with two of those guys, at least one. If they don't get one swing and miss reliever and not someone who's walking four per nine, you know, who's, I don't want someone who's, if, if you're the Blue Jays, you can't have someone who's got a 12% walk rate and a 24% strikeout rate. Like, you know, let's let's get some real separation there. You know, I think that that's, I, if you look at the way they talk about these things internally and what they value, I think that that's uh, something to keep an eye on. And whether it's a big name doesn't matter. But I think you need someone who's getting swing and miss. And and uh, it's it, that's the number one need for me on this team. Would you say 12% walk and 24% strikeout? Yeah, that's not. that doesn't really do a ton for me so the guy i have in mind has a nine percent walk okay. and a 28 percent strikeout well, so he better. is outside those yeah. parameters uh and his name's lou trevino and he is not having a very good season for the oakland athletics but he's done it before in leverage and he's done it before in big moments and i think the stuff is still good um and i wonder if the blue jays can help him make a tweak to maybe keep the ball in the yard a bit more and i wonder if that's a, a good target for the for the blue jays here as well I find it fascinating. We were doing the series with Jamie a couple of weeks ago, watching the A's bullpen a bit more closely. And um, and we were talking about him at the time. I'm fascinated by Lou Trevino. And here's the one thing. His fastball this year is getting hammered. So, you know, why is that happening? I don't know. Um, but it's, to me, if, if Lou Trevino was like the second reliever you get and you also get a good starter, I'm intrigued. Because you're right. Like he he has really good strikeout and walk numbers. And he's obviously available being on the A's. I, I just, I have a little bit of pause with someone who is, whose fastball is getting crushed the way his is, but I'm intrigued by Trevino. I just think that the the velo is still there and the movement still seems to be there. So I wonder if there's just kind of a, a tweak to get off of like the meaty part of the, the plate with his heater a little bit. I wonder if some of it's bad luck. And I just like that he's tested. Uh, down the stretch for the athletics obviously repeatedly and then into the postseason as well like a guy who was pitched in you know in in ds situations for oakland like has faced the houston astros in high leverage playoff situations i value that so so that's a guy but also somebody who is going to uh walk some batters so it's going to be a little dicey when he's when he's in there sometimes but that's always exciting as well to me the like the best reliever i've seen moved so far and so the only way really to like frame values is Colin Holderman. And he went for Daniel Vogel back, right? In that sort of that, uh, you know, Mets Pirates deal. And that's so I don't, I'm kind of curious what you think prices are going to be like for relievers. Cause that's really the only like jumping off point we have to kind of like compare things. Cause you look, you know, there's going to be a lot of competition, right? The Yankees just lost Michael King. They're going to be in this market. Any contender is going to be looking to bolster their bullpen. Um, you know, you're going to have a lot of competition. And look, clubs typically do not like to pay much of a price at the deadline for rental relief because of the volatility and because of the risk inherent there no gm like wants to be the guy giving up really premium prospects for a reliever at the deadline who then blows up because sometimes relievers blow up um, but i thought kind of like the holderman example was interesting holderman for vogelback like 
Holgerman's Holgerman, legit, right? Like yeah. he's controllable for a few years, like throws nine six, like great peripherals. I think he's still optionable, which is like huge in this like 13 pitcher limit world. Um, and Volgaback's like an everyday guy with like a 120 weight runs created plus. Like he's like a pretty decent player, like a pretty good routine return right there. Like I don't think the Blue Jays could have beat that. Like Zach Collins would be the Blue Jays yeah. Vogelbach, and he's obviously not playing every day and not having anywhere near the season that the Vogelbach is like. That would be the closest thing to fill like that left-handed DH need that the Mets had. So I don't think that the Blue Jays could beat that. But like, what do you, what do you think that value that was on Holderman tells us about what relievers will cost at the deadline? What do you expect like a, a Robertson, a Bard to cost, a Jimenez to cost? Like, where, how are you kind of looking at that? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I like that deal for Pittsburgh. And I wonder if the Mets add another bat as well. Like I thought Josh Bell would have been a better fit than Vogelback. Maybe Josh Bell ends up with the Astros now, which would be a great pickup for them if they can do it. Uh, I think to me, the top, top relievers like a David Bednar or a Gregory Soto guys who are pitching at an all-star level and controllable, I actually don't think they're going to move. I think they're going to stay put. Because I think the values are going to be really high as they should be on those players. Then you go down a tier, and I think Mantiply moves. I don't know about Jimenez. Robertson, like I said, I mean, he will be traded. So it's a question of where. And I don't think the price will be super high. Like, I think you're definitely not talking about, you know, top prospects. Um, now, are you, I think you're more talking like the Benintendi return, where it's a, multiple players who are, you know, one of whom is like pretty intriguing, maybe lower levels, maybe that's a 2020 draft pick and they're having some success and they're at high A. That's the kind of return. Like, I don't think we're talking top names from the Jays system, for example. Like, I think you can upgrade this bullpen meaningfully without even, like, you're obviously not talking about Tiedemann. You're obviously not talking about Gabriel Moreno. Do you trade a Relvis for a controllable reliever? That's on the high end. Right. And I'd be open wow, to it right? for the right one, like Aralvis for Bednar. I might think about that. But um, I think it's more like lower level guys, honestly. I think they can meaningfully improve this bullpen without depleting the farm system. It's like the most uncomfortable thing a GM has to do is give up a real, like, legit prospect for a reliever yeah. or like give out money to a reliever in free agency like term and money to a reliever in free agency because you've just there's so many cautionary tales right no gm wants to be building their bullpen that way i think for the jays it's not ideal it's never ideal but you got to do it and you have to take that risk because the other risk is you don't have a good bullpen in october and you lose also a risk. Uh, and then the final thing on the trade market, I think if there is an opportunity to upgrade the bench, the Blue Jays will take it. But I don't believe that they feel that those opportunities will be ample. Um, I think the Blue Jays think it's probably pretty difficult to improve their offense, like even incrementally at this point. Like you would be looking at improving on like the Collins or Zimmer spot on your on your bench right now. I kind of feel like, man, you carried Bradley Zimmer this far through the regular season with him never playing and his biggest value is honestly down the stretch is honestly September October when it's like okay now this game-changing elite speed game-changing elite defense is really valuable in these situations now like don't you kind of have to see that through I don't know if there's room for like a Tyler Naquin to take that spot do you do that maybe um I just don't think that the Blue Jays are going to see 
that much value in the position player options that are available to them right now. They, they, maybe they do something small um, around the, the fringes. Zach Collins is optionable, right? So you could like option Collins, add somebody to your bench without losing anybody. And then in September, rosters expand. Maybe you bring Collins back. Who knows? Collins is still there as that insurance policy. And you've got Kirk and Jansen in the big leagues. Moreno is likely coming back on this roster at some point. And I wonder if the Blue Jays even just look internally and say, hey, we got Spencer Horowitz at, at AAA. He's a lefty. He's added some thump this year. He's walking nearly as often as he strikes out in the minors, makes really strong swing decisions. Like maybe he's a decent fallback if things really get dicey for us on our bench down the stretch. But I think as things stand right now with everybody healthy and productive, it's pretty hard for the Blue Jays to improve on their offense. Yeah, it is. I think, you know, of those bench players, Zimmer, yeah, we're talking about 32 more days until rosters expand. I would try to get through those 32 days because he helps in September, October. Now, is there someone who can field and run as well as him and also hit more? That's tough. It's actually tough to find. Not um, as well as him. You're, you'd yeah. be taking a downgrade on the speed and the defense, honestly, because those th- those elements are elite for Zimmer. Right. And so the players who do that while also hitting better are like Byron Buxton. And it's like, you're not getting him. And he's not on your <laughs> yeah. bench if you do. So, right. you know, it's, I think, I think Zimmer's fine, actually. I'm, I'm less, uh, if you're the Jays, I think you have, you can be less worried about, about that. Um, Collins also serves a purpose because you start two catchers very often. So he serves a purpose at least. Tapia is the last one. He's been great. He's been so good. Now, that's awesome. That's helped them win games. At the same time, how do you project him going forward? That's the important question. What's done is done. So yeah. is he going to be this good going forward or is there a way to upgrade? And I just wonder, you know, with the Benintendi, you see some rumors that, you know, maybe uh, the Jays were in on Benintendi. Like moving forward, would Benintendi have been a better use? Could you have done something with Tapia going to KC? He's got an extra year of control. Could that have been something? Tapia and a prospect for Benintendi. Tapia for Naquin. Like, is there something there? Not that Tapia hasn't been good. Not that you need to upgrade over him. But again, it's all about projections. And so if you get someone who projects to a 110 WRC plus and maybe projects as a better defender, as opposed to Tapia's 101 or whatever they have him projected at, 95, then I would be open to that, but it's not something you need to force. And Tappy has been great. Take nothing away. Inside the park, grand slams, you know, dreadlocks flying, triples. Like he's he's doing some really good stuff for the Jays. Um, but, you know, I, it's just some thoughts. No, but if you project Naquin as a better hitter going forward than Tapia, again, going forward, Naquin's going to be a better defender. Like, and pre- pretty much any guy that you're looking at is going to be a better defender because Tapia's defense is still like pretty suspicious. I, like, I think the Blue Jays are, are comfortable with it. They're okay with playing him out there, but I don't think he's going to grade out too well defensively. Um, and so, yeah, when you look at the process for Tapia, like, the, yeah, the results have been great. <laughs> the Blue Jays will take it, man. Like, they got. 11 dudes right now who they feel great about penciling into their lineup but they have like no issues with like what a luxury for this club they're running so deep right now and when you have tapia doing what he's doing at the bottom of the lineup like it just makes it so much harder on an opposition starting pitcher but yeah if you project somebody to be better offensively than tapia going forward then they're probably also going to be better defensively as well and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah we could do that yeah I, I think yeah, that's, you got to be open-minded to that. You could talk yourself into that uh, pretty easily, I think. But yeah, I just, I don't know that the deal is going to be out there for the Blue Jays in the next few days. But we'll see, like stuff presents itself at, on August 2nd that you aren't expecting 
to be out there and to be available to you. And that's where like the decision making has to be great quick. And you, it's like I was saying earlier, your process has to be well defined and you have to be ready to move in a very objective and emotionless way and make sound decisions and try to add value at this rare juncture when you can add talent to your organization. Uh, that is the trade market and we should step away and take a break. But when we come back, we got to talk about the players who are actually on the Blue Jays right now and, and what they're doing and, and what might happen next. So all that and much more when we continue on at the letters. It continues on at the letters, Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith, our producers are Nick Andrade and Christian Ryan. And let's get to Major League Beer for Major League Baseball, brought to you by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Ben, everywhere I go lately, everyone wants to talk to me about Juan Soto. What's going to happen with Juan Soto? Luda is going to get Juan Soto. Who's going to get Juan Soto? I have question as to whether Juan Soto will even be traded in uh, the next few days leading up to the August 2nd trade deadline. Uh, so I'm going to put that question to you. In your heart of hearts, do you think Juan Soto is traded prior to the deadline? Well, it is pretty intriguing. And it's really, I mean, it's almost without precedent, right? You think about Miguel Cabrera, that's probably the best precedent um, for this. But, you know, it's almost as if you're talking about trading you know, a 23-year-old Willie Mays or Ted Williams or Hank Aaron. And that's exceptional. It just doesn't happen a lot in the history of Major League Baseball. So the Nationals have every right to be looking for a massive return um, that is just way beyond what we would normally see. And so there are not a ton of teams that could even match that if they wanted to. Then you're talking about teams that are clearly in a win-now mode. Because I don't think that, you know, the Diamondbacks are going to be in that mix. Like it's players who are or teams who are trying to win the World Series in this season. So, you know, that limits things to a certain extent. And I understand that GMs are very value oriented and they are very hesitant to give up a return that's too big and that ends up looking bad and costing them their job or costing their franchise a chance to to win it all. But I still think it happens because I think that once we get to Tuesday afternoon, if there's a GM who's close, who's kind of getting some momentum with the Nationals and has Mike Rizzo's attention, and you're close to acquiring Juan Soto, then some of that rationality might go out the window. And there might be a chance at that point for just that one extra player to come back, you know, toss in whatever it is, cash considerations, whatever it is that gets it over the line. So I think I think he'll be traded, and I'll, I'll add in a prediction. I think it'll be to the Padres. That's exactly what I think the Nationals are trying to do. They're trying to make somebody make a foolish decision. Like they are trying to use the deadline as leverage to play on the emotions that run high at that time, the bad decisions that get made, the owners with other clubs who are like, look, I don't care what it takes. Get me Juan Soto. Like it's not always just... The like you said, the you know value oriented GM and his uh, front office sitting in a room figuring this out. Sometimes it's on high. Somebody who maybe doesn't know that much about baseball values say, "No, I need that guy. He's available. I need that guy. That's my franchise cornerstone. Go get him. I don't care what it comes. What's one more young guy that I've never heard of at Double A? I don't care that you love how his spin profiles yeah. with his slider. Like I don't care. What are you talking? Seam shifted? What? Like I don't care. Send him away. Um, I think that's what the Nationals are trying to do, right? Like they're trying to use this opportunity. That's why they've been very public about like, hey, 
we're, we're going to trade them. Uh, send us your best offers. And that's why the asks have been so high because they're trying to make somebody make a mistake. I don't believe the Washington Nationals are actually going to move him from those who I have asked in the know. The response has typically been 50-50, right? So even people in the game are giving an equal chance to him not being traded as to him being traded. And I really just don't think that the Nationals are going to get somebody to jump to the height that it would require for them to do it. Like, And more than anything, I think it's just like a really sort of sad situation that the Nationals have uh, signed and developed like one of the greatest talents that we've seen in a generation like honestly 23 years old multiple times silver slugger winner like a guy who profiles alongside like no joke like the Barry Bonds is of this world in terms of what he does with plate approach and walks and discipline and power and the way he blends it all together doesn't play great defense who cares like this is one of the best hitters we've seen in some time he's 23 he's been in your organization for however long he's won a world series with the Washington Nationals you can't convince him to stick around in your organization and you can't find a way to like work something out where you're keeping him a Washington national for some time. Cause like when the Washington nationals are ready to win again, whenever that is, Juan Soto is still going to be good. He's 23. Yeah. Right. So I, I would think the Washington nationals are hoping that they are going to come out of whatever rebuild they're in right now. Sometime within the next seven years, Juan Soto is going to be in his prime baby. So you should find a way to, convince this guy to like stay in your culture and your organization and build around him. But that's kind of beside the point. I just think the nationals are trying to make a team do something foolish. And they also, they're kind of collecting Intel too, right? They're doing a little bit of recon. Like they're seeing, oh, okay, these other teams would send us these players. Okay. Now we know the Padres would send us those guys. The Cardinals would send us those guys. The Dodgers would send us those guys. Now we have those names. Let's get our analysts on them. Let's get our scouts on them. Let's spend the next several months before the off season, really diving in on these players who could be available to us, learning as much as possible about them so we can make a more informed decision this winter when we do trade Juan Soto. And, and that's a good fallback for them because if they don't get the offer, they'll at least learn a lot. They'll understand too, like some of the teams that are that would be interested now might not be able to make that push at this point because it would cost them too much off their major league roster. Now in the off season, you know, maybe there's a different way to reshuffle those things. You at least have more time to reshuffle and you can sign free agents too to backfill if you have to. So, I, you know, definitely a point taken on on that front it just is you know it's so remarkable though you think about you know the draft which of course just took place a couple weeks ago and you know even with some of the good players taken high up in the draft you know the comps might be yeah like if everything goes well he could be like a ted lily or a jay hap like you know if 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 his development really goes according to plan and with Juan soto like he's already a comp for you know barry bonds and ted williams are his comps and that's He's already there um, in in these elite circles of baseball history. So it, it's it's incredible. Whoever gets him uh, will be a much, much better team. Yeah, any player you're trying to return for Juan Soto, you hope to someday become Juan Soto. But you currently I mean, have Juan Soto. Maybe. Yeah. And he's 23, right? Like, And yeah, how many guys become Juan Soto? 
<laughs> so few. This is not even realistic to think, oh, maybe we'll get a Juan Soto back from Juan Soto. No. Uh, that's why as like the Nationals, you have to absolutely maximize the young talent you get in return. If you do execute this transaction, like forget including like bad money going the other way. Like that's just like a foolish way to burn your return. Like that's not worth it. If you can afford the to stomach like Patrick Corbin's contract, just pay the man and get back as much young talent as possible and give yourself as many possibilities as possible to uh, get the next star or next stars uh, out of this deal. Uh, I don't know how to transition this. You say Kikuchi's back, baby. Looked like he went and he did. You say Kikuchi is back. That's six He's rounds. back. It's Thursday, July 28th as we record this. And it's kind of awkward timing because it's going to pitch here on Thursday. And most people probably won't listen to this on Friday. So they will know what has happened when Yusei Kikuchi gets back on the mound for, for the Blue Jays. Um, and we don't where we're sitting right now. But if you had told me that he went out against the Detroit Tigers and had like seven innings of one run ball, I would believe you. And if you told me he went out against the Detroit Tigers and didn't make it out of the first, I would also believe you either wow. or sounds plausible to me with you you would Kikuchi. believe that first outcome yeah man we've seen him really good wow. when he's yeah when he's on he is really good you can't deny yeah. that he's just on so infrequently and it's mm-hmm. so inconsistent and when he's off he's really off <laughs> he's really bad yeah. uh so like honestly i could see either a really like a quality start really strong outing or i could see a complete meltdown blow up in the first two innings and i i could see anything in between as well yeah well you know it's baseball and strange things happen and you're right his his ceiling is still high and the tigers are not a good offense so sure i i can get there too i could imagine it um i could imagine it and like you say maybe everyone listening has literally seen it unfold <laughs> to me what it comes down to with Kikuchi is it's just becoming increasingly apparent and and it's not the slider, it's not the cutter, whatever you want to call it, it's not that. It's fastball command. Can he throw his fastball? I'm not even saying with pinpoint command. I'm not saying can he really just find that glove of Kirk or Moreno or Collins or yeah, you know, whoever he's working with that day. I think it's gonna be Jansen. Let's say Jansen. I think so, it's gonna be Jansen. It's not a question of can he hit the glove with pinpoint command. It's can he get it in the strike zone. And way too often this season, the answer has been no. Like not even close. Not any kind of consistency. Not any kind of reliability. And that is a huge problem for a major league pitcher. It doesn't matter if you throw 96. It doesn't matter if you call it a slider or a cutter. It just doesn't matter. Because hitters know. uh, Umpires know. It is going all over the place, and Kikuchi knows too. I mean, it's obviously been a tough year for him, and I'll be watching very closely for his fastball command. Can he get it over the plate consistently? And that, to me, is what drives uh, the next part of the season for him. Is is he throwing strikes? Just two outings ago, you say Kikuchi went six innings, one earned run, eight strikeouts against Tampa Bay Rays. It's possible. We saw it just two outings ago. Uh, the outing following that, he went two and a third <laughs> against Oakland and walked five. Didn't strike out anybody. I don't know, man. We'll see. I, I could see any of these outcomes. What I do know is that there is like legitimate, genuine optimism 
within the Blue Jays that like you said, Kikuchi is going to be better. And they, I mean, he's been working with Pete Walker on some stuff, working with David Howell, who's like the, the pitching strategist at the major league level. They've been working with his throwing program, doing some different, I know you say it's not about the slider, but you know, changing the grip on the slider and messing around with that pitch, like doing some stuff um, that they believe is going to help him and benefit him going forward. I mean, the Blue Jays could not have crafted a softer entry point for Yusei Kikuchi. I'll say that. Like, he's coming in against the Detroit Tigers, like the worst offense in baseball, one of the worst offenses in baseball. He's doing it at home, so his whole routine is going to be set. He's going to know exactly down to the minute when he's throwing the first pitch of his outing and we know how tricky those first innings have been for him they got him like a feel-good outing against the minor leaguers in buffalo they got him his side session in toronto they've been talking him up to people like you and me and like putting all this positive vibes out there like they like honestly like they have really crafted like the perfect circumstances and environment and scenario for him to be successful. What is, you know, managing in baseball, it's putting players in the best possible position to succeed. They have checked all those boxes with you say Kikuchi. He now just has to go out there and pitch. The one thing I will say is that whether he's really good on Thursday or really bad, and people who are listening to this know whether he was really good or really bad or somewhere in between, I do not think that will impact the Blue Jays' deadline strategy. The Blue Jays are not looking at one Yusei Kikuchi start and saying, oh, okay, we're good with starters now. Um, or, oh, no, now we have to go get a starter. Like It's not going to impact things going into the deadline at all it's going to be one more information point but the blue jays deadline strategy is like they have a very good idea of what they're going to do regardless of how you say kikuchi looks on thursday yeah i think that's a, a great point and really for most front offices in baseball that is the case they are not going in here day to day and and living and dying with the uh, results of, of one individual game or two or three or seven individual games. The Blue Jays know what they need. It's pitching. They are going to get some of it. And that is independent of whatever happens with Yusei Kikuchi. The only thing that, in my opinion, that could fundamentally shift the Blue Jays' approach in the next four or five days leading up to the deadline is an injury. Obviously, if someone gets hurt, you have to backfill. You know, if Springer pulls a hamstring, that changes things. But otherwise, they basically know what they have to do and they'll, I expect, um, do it. But, um, you know, at this point, the Kikuchi uh, success, should he succeed, would be a bonus. And if he struggles, you know, it, it does reinforce to some small extent that they need help. Yeah, major injury is the one way that I think you get the Blue Jays to really rethink their strategy going into the deadline right now. One more thing we we want to touch on because uh, we didn't get to it when when it happened because of, yeah, we just weren't on uh, is the draft. Blue Jays uh, drafted a whole bunch of players recently. Um, first round pick was uh, Brandon Barrera, a left-handed pitcher out of high school. And so that's like the name that got a lot of attention. Uh, but I think that the name that you really need to look at in this draft for the blue jays um which is one that they feel really good about by the way they feel like they executed their strategy really well they feel like things played out the way they that they thought they would they thought barrera might fall to them in their first round which they did they're happy with that outcome i mean they've signed their like their first 15 picks so that tells you that they had a really good idea of what was doable and what was not that they executed well but i think the the guy who this draft was about in a lot of ways is tucker toman who was a 
compensatory pick, the third overall pick, number 77. And a couple things that, that tell you that. Number one is the bonus. $2 million for Tucker Tillman uh, as the number 77 overall pick. The slot around there would have been like 850 900 something like that, $1,000. So like $2 million going way over slot. Um, and this is somebody who the Blue Jays had much higher on their draft board than pick number 77. Like they feel really good about where they picked him up. They have a very strong relationship with him, like going back years. They've known him for a long time. Tony LaCava's known Tucker Toman's like family for a very long time. Tucker Toman, um, like was brought into Dunedin, saw the facility, got to know everybody in the organization. They spent a lot of time on him. And I think it's somebody who the Blue Jays are really excited about and we're really thrilled to get at that, uh, you know, number 77 pick, which is take nothing away from Brandon Barrera, who like a ton of, you know, helium on him in, in the draft. And people feel really, really strong about him from, you know, what he can do from the left side. And I bet you that he is already in that pitching lab in Dunedin and the Blue Jays are trying to kind kind of teed him in him uh, a little bit. But yeah, the, the Tucker Toman one is one that sticks out to me from this draft. And I bet you he's a guy that we're talking about a lot in uh, four or five years. Yeah, exactly. He's going to be a big name to watch. And I think really with these drafts, it is about the whole picture. It's about what you can do with this collection of picks. It's not with this one individual pick. It's not who can we get in the first round. It's how can we overall improve the organization and Tucker Tolman for as you've outlined I mean he was someone that they they really liked and they had a a good relationship with it seems that he really trusts the Blue Jays even if other teams were just as motivated or even more motivated to to go out and try to acquire him he had a good relationship there wanted to be a Blue Jay and ended up of course you know agreeing to terms with them on that big bonus so that's a good thing for this organization Um, and again that's you know, when we're watching that first round, it's not just about that first pick. It's about what that opens up later. Yeah, sounds like he had some opportunities to go earlier and maybe make a bit more money, um, but wanted to be a Blue Jays. Sounds similar to Bo Bichette, um, really, when, when the Blue Jays targeted him in a draft several years ago, and we all know how that turned out. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, sh- you know, List is a shortstop right now. Tucker Toman is. Sounds like maybe he might end up at third base in the future. Who knows? We'll see. A lot of people thought Bobachet was going to end up at second base in the future, and he's an everyday shortstop in the majors right now, uh, but switch hitter. And kind of the other thing that really, you know, the other kind of interesting thread in this draft was just the Blue Jays targeting hit tool mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, it was kind of interesting to just kind of see the profile of hitter that that they targeted. It wasn't all just like the big, huge, like exit velo, massive, like hard hit rate, like barrel the ball guys. A lot of kind of hit tool guys in this draft as well, which kind of is interesting for what it could tell us just organizationally about what the Blue Jays value going forward. Right. And sometimes, I mean, there's certainly a school of thought out there that if you have these hitters who find the barrel really well, who avoid strikeouts, who have that great coordination, then you add some strength to their frames you help them, you know, potentially with some swing adjustments. I don't want to say changes, but you you help them max out. And then maybe you're looking at some higher exit velos and you're looking at some more power um, as they develop. Yeah, the Blue Jays have invested a lot of resources in Dunedin into their player development and how they can help players get better. We're just starting to see like the tip of the spear. Like Ricky Tiedemann is going to be like kind of the poster child of that for the organization. But yeah, I think it's something that they believe can 
continue not only with pitchers adding velo but yeah hitters adding a little bit of exit velo as well and making some some strength gains that show up at the plate man like santiago espinal did it over a winter added you know very meaningfully to his hard hit rate and to his exit velos on a program the blue jays had him on he wasn't working in dunedin when he did that he wasn't at the player development complex like this was during the lockout like he wasn't working with developers and working in the hitting lab and all that stuff so imagine how much more can happen when you're just when you have those resources and when you're in that environment it's gonna be interesting to see that's a very long-term thing that's a very next four or five years thing but uh it's gonna be very interesting to see how the blue jays play that out next four or five days thing is the trade deadline and uh ben nixon smith and myself and shy davidi and the cast of thousands of sportsnet are going to have you covered we'll have every move recapped at sportsnet.ca ben you're going to be on the radio with blake murphy who filled in so capably for you recently on, on atl uh i'm going to be at rogers center with arash madani doing some tv shy is going to be on the ground in uh, st pete with the club in tampa wall-to-wall coverage of the trade deadline and then ben and I will be back next week to recap whatever it is the Blue Jays do. I promise you it'll be something. So until then, for our producers, Nick Andrade, Kristen Ryan, he's Ben Nicholson-Smith. I'm Arden Swelling. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time on At The Letters.